Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Right now, and just ask God to let His Spirit, His Word touch our heart. I believe the Lord wants to say something to us tonight. And I really say that sincerely. And a few days ago, several days ago, maybe even a couple of weeks ago, I was reading a very familiar passage of Scripture and my heart was pricked again. And uh, I just felt drawn back to that particular um, subject or um, passage. And so I just asked the Lord to touch us this evening. I really want you to make the journey with me. Will you do that? Amen. The book of Ecclesiastes chapter 2. I'll give you a moment to find that one. I was beginning to believe someone had taken it out of the particular Bible that I use for preaching. and uh, But it is there, thank God, right after the book of Proverbs. The book of Ecclesiastes chapter 2, a book written by the author of Proverbs, Solomon. The book of Ecclesiastes is a book of reflection, looking back on his life. And um, very pointed statements and very pointed questions that are posed by Solomon at this particular station of life. And so, if you'll join me in verse number 18, Solomon says, Yea, I hated all my labor which I had taken under the sun, or, or the labor of his life, because I should leave it unto the, the man that shall be after me. And who knoweth whether he shall be a wise man or a fool? Yet shall he have rule over all my labor, wherein I have labored, and wherein I have showed myself wise under the sun. This also is vanity. What a transparent reflection. Man at the end of his life looks around. Solomon has plenty to look around. And behold... And in this moment of just transparent honesty, he says, I just hate all of this. Because everything I have worked for is going to be left to the person who follows me. That's not what he hated. What he hated was the question that he posed. Who knoweth whether he shall be a wise man or a fool? Amen. And that is my subject tonight. A wise man or a fool? Praise God. Lord, I love you this evening. I ask you to touch our hearts together. I pray, Lord, that I can convey what I feel you've laid upon my heart this evening. And help us not only as a church, but help us, oh God, as individuals and families that we will take serious the mandate and the mantle that is upon our shoulders. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you tonight, and you can certainly be seated. This is a very telling statement made by Solomon because 
his successor was going to be his son, Rehoboam. And uh, if you know anything about the life of Rehoboam, um, I don't expect this evening that you came with a lot of information about Rehoboam already pre-chambered <laughs> in your heart and mind. So uh, I'll just kind of back up just a little bit. But Rehoboam was a man kind of like a blind pig. You know, a blind pig can find an acre and every now and then just... And Rehoboam could just occasionally make wise decisions. But for the most part, Rehoboam was not a good ruler. And uh, if you will remember maybe perhaps this portion of Rehoboam's life when he came to the throne, one of the first things that Rehoboam did was he sought the counsel of his elders. And so the elders told him what they thought he should do and how that he should rule. And the Bible says he rejected the, the advice or the counsel of his elders. And then he sought the counsel from his peers. And his peers told him the exact opposite of what the elders had said. And uh, he embraced that. Just a, such an odd, strange thing. It would just even seem like, not to belabor the issue, even how they presented their ideas would have been enough for him to say, you know, this is probably not a good idea. During Rehoboam's reign, which was 17 years, the way he responded to situations really revealed the character of the person that he was. One, one writer said it best. He said, what life does to us depends on what life finds in us. Amen. And so, you know, we've heard, and I've probably said through the years, I've tried to correct it in latter years, that, that situations, trials and tribulations of life will make you bitter or better. But better told is that situations in life, difficulties in life, reveals what's there. And so what life does to us depends on what life finds in us, what is there. So some character flaws during the reign of Rehoboam surfaced, and I think it would be good for us to consider a few of these this evening. And the reason I think that is because we don't need to make the same mistakes. If someone has already made a bad decision, why should we follow suit? And let's just figure that out. And so in his rise to power and authority, his, his rise to power and authority created in Rehoboam a spirit or a sense of arrogance in his heart. And um, whatever gifts Rehoboam may have possessed, for whatever they may have been, one of the things he failed in was the ability to relate to people. On the other hand, if we consider his grandfather, David, David was a king who loved people, and uh, he knew how to relate to them. But even in the life and the leadership of Solomon, uh, his Rehoboam's father, we can see things are already starting to deteriorate. Solomon uh, was a wise man, a wealthy man, and many things, many positive things could be said about Solomon. But we could also say that Solomon used people to satisfy his own desires. Solomon, for instance, spent twice as long building his own house as he did the house of God. And uh, when you read about the elaborate structure of his home and uh, the many, many things, we can see that Solomon certainly tilted the table in his favor. Rehoboam was a, a man or a king that turned his ears away from the voices of the people. They were uh, almost in his way. He was a king and the throne was here. The people were well below him. Maybe, maybe he thought that the dynasty of his grandfather David 
Or maybe he thought that all the wealth and the wisdom of his father and the prosperity of his father Solomon would be enough to sustain him. However, he had forgotten the words of 2 Samuel 7, 12, 13, and 14. And I'll just summarize those verses. The Lord said to David through Samuel, He said, When your days are fulfilled, I will set up thy seed after thee, and I will establish his kingdom. That was a wonderful promise that came from the Lord. But then we later find in just the next couple of verses, he said, If he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men. And so if I'm going to set up your seed to follow you. And if he will walk after me, and if he will follow in the steps of my word, then I will honor him and bless him. But if he commits iniquity, then I will chastise him. And so if we go back to the king, the book of Judges, if we go back, uh, not necessarily to the book of Judges, but the time of Judges, Israel was asking for a king. And Samuel, the, the prophet, the man of God, the priest, Samuel was warning them. And he was trying to tell them, uh, you, you're, this, you want a king, but you don't understand the price tag that's going to be associated to your request. He warned them, this is going to be costly. But in the end, they demanded a king, and Solomon did the very things that Samuel warned them about. And therefore, the kingdom of God was not really all that healthy or in the best shape uh, when Rehoboam assumed the throne. Now, we can think that it was from the outside looking in, but there were some, unsus to the unsuspecting eye, we may think, well, everything looks all, all right, but they couldn't detect the spiritual and the moral decay that was really taking place and it was all happening in the kingdom's foundation beginning at the throne because Solomon was marrying wives and, and taking on their idols and many other things toward the end of Solomon's life. We see things are really slipping. God's greatest leaders have been those that had a servant's heart. They were the servants to the people. If we consider leaders like Moses and Joshua and Samuel and of course David. However, Solomon had chosen to be a celebrity instead of a servant. Now Rehoboam, his son, is following in his footsteps. One of the earmarks of David's leadership was the fact that he was willing to humble himself in the sight of God. He was willing to humble himself in the sight of people even. Even in making important decisions. I believe that we should, should seek spiritual counsel. We should want the input of a voice in our lives that would help to lead us and guide us. Someone said this, we make our decisions and then our decisions turn around and make us. We're affected by the decisions that we make in life. And so that's why I don't want to be whimsical in things, especially that may alter the trajectory of my future spiritually or naturally. I want to seek some spiritual input about that. Amen. The elders gave Rehoboam the best advice. Their advice was this, be a servant to the people and the people will serve you. And that was their advice. If you summarize it all down, if you will serve the people, then the people will serve you. However, Rehoboam had already decided, so he turned to his contemporaries and he took their counsel. And again, that was the very opposite of that. And I believe in the work of God. So before we create, a, before we create any groups here, I believe that the work of God, in the work of God, there is room for both the old and the young and all points in between. Amen? 
mean, he got a little quiet and left me nervous there for just a minute. But as leaders, my wife and I have intentionally kept young people close to us because their youth helps us to stay current to the times and the future as far as we can peer into it. And hopefully, our experience will help them stay connected to the current and to the past. Amen. And, and here's our goal. Together, we can stay balanced and have true respect one for another and each generation to another generation. So that there is not this glaring gap and, and someone that is discrediting whether they are youth or someone that is discrediting the elders. Does that make sense? Amen. Now be gentle with us because we've just come to the revelation that we're not young. So, uh, <laughs> Rehoboam's leadership was motivated by pride, arrogance, not humility. And pride knows nothing about things like gentleness and kindness. Proud people can be very dangerous people, very, very harmful people. The spirit of pride. Amen. The Bible talks about the Lord hating a proud look. So instead of lightening the yoke that the people were bearing, Rehoboam announced, because he's received all this counsel from just one side, he said, I'm going to make your yoke heavier. If you think that was something, well, you just buckle up, buttercup, because it's really fixing to come on now. As a matter of fact, he said things like this. He said, my little finger is fatter than my dad's waist. I mean, if you think that that was something, you just wait. You just wait. Now, that would be a difficult thing to, to hear from a leader, wouldn't that? Wouldn't that be a very difficult thing to hear from a king? And so it's important to note something because Rehoboam represented the third generation, if we could call it this. Rehoboam represented the third generation of the dynasty of David. Now, I think that's important to understand because it's often in the third generation that things can, they don't have to, I'm just saying this as a preventative measure, that it's often in the third generation that things can begin to weaken. Amen. This generation can begin to tear down what a previous generation has spent building up. Now, I think I'm qualified to say what I'm saying. And here are my qualifications. I am a third generation apostolic. Amen. And so I'm going to be qualified to say what I'm about to say concerning the church. My grandparents received this message by revelation. My mother received this inherit by inheritance. But if it becomes an inconvenience to the third generation, then I will promise you it will be a nuisance to the next generation. Amen. Can I say that again? The first generation got it by revelation. The next generation got it by inheritance. But if we're not careful, right there, it's into the hands of that third generation. If this is an inconvenience to me, then I can promise you the generation coming behind us, it will be a nuisance to them. Amen. Judges 2, I believe, is a stark reminder of this principle. Verse 7, Judges 2 and 7, the Bible says that the people that served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua... Then the Bible kind of defines these two generations who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. 
And then verse number 10 says, that generation died and there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. And so think about that with me for just a moment. Here's one generation and another generation. They are in the throes of what the power of God is doing in the life of this nation But there arose a third generation that didn't even know anything about God. That's bad enough. But they didn't even know about the things that God had done for Israel. So somewhere along the way, somebody stopped talking about God and the things of God. And that's a frightening thought. And so it's not enough that we just not talk about God. We've got to talk about the things of God. I just thought about this today when I was reading over this of how Rahab, whenever the spies came in to spy out Jericho, and Rahab, a harlot, I mean, that's pretty far from the kingdom of God, pretty far from the center of a godly universe. But here's what Rahab said to those spies. We have heard... (laughs) About your God. We've heard about your God. We know what's coming. Somebody didn't just know God, but somebody knew about the things of God and had been talking about the things of God. And so I'm thankful for people that have an experience with the Lord, but I'm going to tell you that we ought to talk about our experience to the point that another generation hears that, and before they even know God, they may not know God, but they know about the things of God. Hallelujah. So we've got young people that may not really understand all about the doctrine and the word of the Lord of of repentance and baptism in Jesus name and the oneness of God and and to live a separated life unto the Lord but I'll tell you what they while they may lack that knowledge we're going to work on that but while they lack that knowledge we're going to keep talking about the things of God in their present not just about the things of God in the word of God but let's talk about the things of God that he's done in your life and then what meaneth these stones build a monument when you get to the other side side of, of Jordan. Build a monument there. What what meaneth these stones? Amen. Why are we going to build it? We're not going to forget this. We were here. These stones are not for you. These stones are so that when your children ask, what meaneth these stones? That you can set them down on your lap and say, son, it was right here. Young lady, it was right here where the hand of God moved in our life powerfully. Amen. So I pray that the Lord would help us because when we consider Judges 2, there are a third generation came along. Not only did they know not God and then they knew not the things of God, but the Bible says that they turned to idols. And when they turned to idols, the nation fell apart two generations later. I don't know about your family altogether, but I can say we can say of our family, because we've talked about this many times, that as involved as we are as in church, <clears throat> in the work of God, the kingdom of God, we have family members that don't even know what the inside of a church looks like, basically. So we're not, we don't, we're not having to talk about what could happen 50 years down the road or 75 years down the road if we're not careful. We're talking about something that could happen just right down the road if we don't do something. I'm talking about a wise man or a fool tonight. Amen. So if we think about this in the context of church, let me just leave that for just a moment and think about it in the context of business because this is not just a spiritual thing. Amen. The founders that worked hard and sacrificed much to start businesses. 
And uh, it's interesting to read about how uh, some of the mainstream, even stores and, and things that, that we still shop in today, how they were started and the sacrifices that were made. I mean extreme sacrifices of people living in the back rooms of the building that was where they sold their merchandise during the day and they gave so much of themselves. But then comes a second generation and, and, and they were faithful because they had real life examples and they believed in the founders and, and, uh, and some of that was because they worked side by side with the people that were there and they kept hearing the stories of how it was and maybe by now the business owner has got their own home and maybe by now they're they're eating a little bit more than beans and rice but they're still hearing those stories are you with me now they're still hearing those stories of how difficult it was and how many businesses, especially in sales and things of that nature, went door to door and they just gave themselves to that cause. Amen. And, and that second generation, they could see their calloused hands and they could hear those stories told with fervor. But then a third generation arrives and they've just inherited a building. They've inherited a business. They know nothing about walking for miles they know nothing about are you with me now they know nothing about the sacrifices that went into it and in doing so they tore down what others before them had worked so hard to build up because there was no skin in the game there was no weight on their shoulders i know i've got to move on Amen. Rehoboam had followed the wrong counsel and used the wrong approach. And then he chose a wrong mediator. And the result, if you continue to read about his life and his leadership or his reign, perhaps we should call it. There was a point that after he kept giving himself to the wrong counsel that he declared war. I mean, here's Rehoboam. He's not even a man of war. He was a man born during peacetime. Now David, his grandfather, was a warring man, but Solomon didn't even know that much about war. Heard a few war stories. Saw some of his trophies of his dad. So Rehoboam, I mean, he's got this, you know, my finger's going to be thicker than, you know, that's his spirit. So Rehoboam declares war. <laughs> However, he had never stopped to ask, I wonder if this is the will of God. I wonder what God thinks about this. I wonder if the Lord will go with us into this battle. And so Rehoboam assembles 180,000 men only to realize that he's wasted his time because the, the Lord sent a prophet, a man by the name of Shemaiah, to stop the fight and send the men home. I want you to remember that name, if you will. About 45 minutes, we're going to come back to that. Amen. The, the, the Bible says a man named Shemaiah. Stay with me now. Amen. Don't look that frightened. Remember that name. And so Shemaiah comes in and he says, you need to send all these men home. And we're not going to fight. We're not going to war today. Amen. And to Rehoboam's credit, he obeyed. <laughs> I think it's because he didn't know that much about battle. And he was probably feeling pretty relieved. Well, God said, but if it hadn't been for the Lord. But I believe, I believe he slept good that night. My opening comments, I said this, occasionally Rehoboam would make right decisions, remember that. However, he heard and obeyed God's voice, the, the message of, of Shemaiah, and the Lord began to give him wisdom, and the Lord began to bless his life, and he stayed on, and had he stayed on that course, just think, <laughs> amen, he could, have led, he could have led Judah into godliness, he could, have, he could have led them into greatness, but he turned from the Lord and lost the blessings, and he lost everything that he could have enjoyed. 
His father had strengthened the borders of the kingdom by putting up fortress cities and, uh, and, and soldiers. And, and uh, Rehoboam followed his good example. Interestingly enough, he didn't put any defenses on the northern border. And so for three years, Rehoboam kept the people of Judah true to the law of Moses. And as a result of that, the priests and the Levites in Israel, who were devoted to the Lord, they came to Judah. And they enriched this nation greatly. Wonderful things could have happened. The addition of these godly priests and their Levites strengthened the kingdom. And it brought the blessings of God. Amen. Because he was making right decisions in a season. But like David and Solomon, Rehoboam disobeyed the word. And he started taking unto himself many wives. Now the culture of the day was that kings and queens needed to have large families because the philosophy is that if we have a large family, if something happens to us, we're always going to have somebody that we can appoint to the throne. But you see, they weren't depending on God. They were saying, we've got to do this. We've got to create this, this supply. Amen. And, and, and so... Uh, even though he had a large family and he was out of the will of God, we would have to credit him with a few good decisions. One of the wise things that he did was he appointed his grown sons to, to royal offices. And then he distributed them around about Judah and Benjamin. He didn't just leave them in his own house. And because of this, he accomplished several things that perhaps kept peace in the palace. These princes weren't engaged in their own ideas and philosophies as were the sons of David. We know the sons of David got to looking around the kingdom. They got to thinking, you know, I'd look pretty good sitting on that throne. So Rehoboam did distribute his sons out. And so here is a man that had grown up in the lap of luxury, but he was wise enough to send his sons to work. And he put some weight on their shoulders. Rehoboam walked with the Lord for three and a half years after becoming the king. But in the fourth year of his reign, when, when, uh, when, when his throne was secure, he had all of Judah turn away from the Lord and begin to worship idols. Everything was going so right. And the Bible says this stark reality. And he did evil because he did not prepare his heart to seek the Lord. We're talking about a wise man or a fool. I open with the text that says Solomon said, I just, I just grieve all the my whole life I've worked for. Everything I have is going to follow me. It's going to go into the hands of someone. And the thing that troubles me is the hands that it goes into, is it going to be a wise man or is it going to be a fool? As a result, because Rehoboam broke the covenant of God and was sinning against the Lord. And as a result of that, the Jewish people no longer were a light to the lost, to the Gentile world. And instead, the darkness of the Gentiles had now invaded the land and was putting out the very good that God had called them to do and be. Amen. So I'm going to ask our musicians, if you will, to come. And it's a little bit longer closing, but I just would ask you to stay with me. So the question may then be posed in your mind or heart what is the purpose then of us traveling through these ancient scriptures tonight how could this possibly apply to us in 2023 I believe the short answer or at least the beginning would be is this if we don't see the errors of others and start making some adjustments we're going to find ourselves exactly where they are. You know, if you ride down the road, especially if it's 
doesn't have to be a familiar road, but sometimes we notice it more on a familiar road. There's something about the curvature of the road. Maybe there's a, a something giving way up under. Doesn't doesn't have to be a you know large opening. Doesn't doesn't have to be a big manhole size. But just something giving way, and and it causes people to drift off the road, and it starts creating a pothole. And it's because everybody is coming across the same conditions, and it's having the same effect. And so until, unless and until somebody corrects what's in the road, we can talk about this great big pothole beside the road. That's not the issue. That's the end result of the issue. Something was given away in the structure of the road itself that caused drivers inadvertently to make that dip or to make that turn. So if we're not careful, we can find ourselves making the same mistakes. So perhaps these passages allow us a moment to examine our lives and, frankly, to examine our own church. I find these things a little frightening. But surveys indicate that when it comes to, and I'm fixing to talk in some broad, broad terms here, okay? So when you're talking about surveys and things of that nature, These are broad terms, but there still should be some sort of laser focus at the center that grabs our attention. Surveys indicate that when it comes to overall morality, that the born-again Christian, and I realize that the term born-again is is a broad, broad brush, but the born-again Christian in, in churches don't live much differently than those that are unsaved outside of the church. And it's because things have become no big deal. No big deal. Sin is not necessarily sin anymore. There's a materialistic and humanistic philosophy of the world that it's not on its way to the church. It's in the church. It's not coming This is not something we need to guard against. It's something we need to curse and get out. It's in the church. Amen. It's in this church. Because we're human and we're in this world. Not because we're bad people. But that idea is here. And if we're not careful, we can tolerate things and even promote things. Because I'm talking about a wise man or a fool. Because somebody's going to inherit this. I'm not talking about this. Somebody's going to inherit this. It's going to somebody's hands. We're not going to live forever. Amen. We're not going to live forever. And so the Lord punished Rehoboam for his sins. It took time, but God stepped in. God gave him so much room, so much room But in the end, God punished him. And so the question that pierces my heart is, how much longer will it be before the Lord punishes his church? For a year, the Lord was patient with Rehoboam. and He was patient with the people of Judah. But in time, even the long suffering of the Lord came to an end. And so God directed an enemy by the name of Shishak, who was the king of Egypt, to invade Judah with a huge army 
And despite Rehoboam's new defenses, Shishak defeated town after town after town. He was a killing machine. Are you hearing me? He was a killing machine. And when the Egyptians got as far as Jerusalem, here comes the prophet Shemaiah, the man I asked you to remember a moment ago. Shemaiah stepped in. They were about to go to battle. 180,000 men are gathered up. And Shemaiah says, no, 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 this is not the will of God. Send all these people home. And so now Shishak, the king of Egypt, is walking them down. And he is slaughtering town after town after town. But when he got to Jerusalem, Shemaiah once again appeared on the scene with a message from God. And the message was short, but it was to the point. And it, was found in, it is found in 2 Chronicles 12 and 5. And the Bible says, Thus saith the Lord, you have forsaken me, and therefore I have also left you in the hands of Shishak. You forsook me, so I'm leaving you. It's, it's you and him. Good luck. Amen. I realize this is not a popular message, but this is the truth your pastor's preaching to you tonight. Amen. That message seems so terminal. <laughs> I mean, I don't know about you, but if the Lord said even half of something that strong to me, you have forsaken me, therefore I have left you to the hands of Shishak. Whew. This is not an idle threat. I mean, he's, he's a, I've said it, he's a killing machine. He has taken down city after city after city. Amen. So even though this message seems terminal, I appreciated the message Brother Newburn preached some time ago about a remnant. I'm taking this a little bit out of context, but God always does leave us some grace, some space of grace, some measure of grace. And so remember in the dedication prayer that Solomon prayed over the temple, amen, he said, Lord, if somebody just errs and they stumble and fumble, if they could just humble themselves and turn back toward this house, that was Solomon's prayer. If they could just turn back. And so Rehoboam and his offers humbled themselves before the Lord, and the Lord stopped Shishak from attacking Jerusalem. Now before we set off the confetti, let me just read one more verse. We're going to put this on the screen. 2 Chronicles 12 and 7. And when the Lord saw that they humbled themselves, the word of the Lord came to Shemaiah saying, They have humbled themselves, therefore I will not destroy them, but I will grant them some deliverance. Amen. I'm going to give them some, some, some deliverance. And my wrath shall not be poured about on Jerusalem by the hand of Shishak. I find this sobering. Amen. I've been left impacted today from study. Because he said, I'm going to give them some deliverance. However, that some deliverance was this. Judah was now going to be subject to Shishak. And they were going to have to pay him tribute. Because now they're discovering that this freedom from sin had a price tag. That's what Samuel was trying to tell them. This king stuff is going to cost you. This king stuff is going to cost you. Sadly, this is the hype. This I want to share with you, and you can start playing. Um, amen. Something about going home. Amen. That'll just that will just in, infuse hope into this service. I believe just play it softly. Anything that has to do with home. 
I'll ask you to stand. So I talk about this high price. I'm going to give them some deliverance. This high price. So this high price, here was the price. In order to satisfy the demands of Shishak, Rehoboam took the gold that was in the temple and from the king's palace. Now this gold included 500 gold shields that Solomon had made for the palace. And so he said, here, we're going to give this gold to you, Shishak. And here's the price. Here's, here's, our, uh, here's our bail money. Here's our bond. Well, Rehoboam didn't have the money to replace these gold shields. Some of you have been in the scripture. You know where I'm going with this. And so the Bible says in, in 1 Kings 10, 16 and 17, that he replaced the gold shields with shields that were made of brass. And here's the real tragedy. Because they still had shiny shields. <laughs> the ceremonies could go on. They went on as if nothing happened. But in truth, Solomon was right. All that I've worked for is going somewhere. I just don't know if it's going to a wise man or a fool. I don't know. I think he must have known. I think Solomon must have known. I've worked my whole life. I've given everything I have to God. He had flaws and error. And so, here are cheap substitutes. And so there arose a generation that didn't know anything about gold shields. They only knew about brass shields. Amen. I'm not trying to preach to midnight tonight. I'm just trying to drive something home in our heart. That if we're not careful... We can raise a generation that really knows nothing about apostolic authority. Some people were happy because, boy, look at those beautiful brass shields. And if you had nothing to compare it to, it would be a wonder of wonders. But there was a generation that says, that's not how this is supposed to be. That's not what that's supposed to look like. That, that doesn't, oh, I feel the Holy Ghost in what I'm saying here today. Amen. Life went on and nobody seemed to know the difference. But, but think about Revelation 3, the church at Laodicea. They said, we are rich and increased with goods and we have need of nothing. That's what they thought. But if you just kept reading, the Bible says they knew not that they were wretched and miserable, poor, blind, and naked. What a contrast. We are rich and increased with goods. We need nothing. And if heaven could have dropped down a mirror, they would have ran in shame because they were blind and wretched and poor and miserable and naked. So had Rehoboam continued to walk with God and led his people to be faithful to God's covenant, the Lord would have done great things for him. Amen. I have no doubt about that. As it was, his sins and the sins of the people who followed him left the nation weaker and it left them poorer and it left them in bondage. How much do we owe this month, Shishak? What are you going to require of us this year? I mean, we've already given our gold. We've, we don't have anything else to give. Amen. But here's what Charles Spurgeon said. God does not allow His people to sin successfully. You can sin, but it's going to come with a price. And so I'm going to ask this church... Some very pointed questions. 
And it's going to be all up to us individually and as a body how we answer. The first question I ask is who will follow us? And the second question I ask, will it be a wise man or will it be a fool? The third question I ask, are we pressing this gospel into the hearts of a generation behind us? Or are we just trying to have good church, get it out of the way, and move on to the next thing in our calendar? If we are flippant about this gospel, I promise you, if I am flippant about this gospel, and if you are flippant about this gospel, don't be surprised when it means nothing to your children and to your grandchildren. Don't be surprised. If we can take church or leave church, if we can give or not give, if we can worship or not worship, if we can pray or not pray, fast or not pray, fast, amen. If we can take it or leave it, don't be surprised when our children or grandchildren don't want anything to do with it because it don't mean anything to us. And they haven't heard about God nor the things of God nor the things which He had done. Oh, help us, Lord. You see, if convictions don't reside in the hearts of the church, it's never going to reside in the hearts of sinners. Amen. It troubles me when sinners can come to the house of God right here. I'm talking about us now. Not the church at large. I'm talking about us. It troubles me when sinners can come here service after service after service and thank us for the music and applaud us for the singing and, and, and honor us for the preaching and leave unchanged. It ought to drive some of us home to an altar and ask why. And not just try to figure out who's sinning somewhere else. Or what's wrong somewhere else. Or find a nail that we can hang it on in somebody else's house. I know this is pretty strong teaching tonight. But I'm telling you, until we go home and say, Lord, help me examine me. I want to find out why the altars are empty. I want to find out why the baptistry's empty. I want to find out why sinners are unmoved and unchanged. Amen. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that's all the time. I'm just talking to you from my heart. Amen. I thank God for what He's doing. I thank God for His praise reports. But we need to understand that somebody's following us. And every day that calendar flips takes us closer to that cemetery over there. Say, so you're being morbid. No, I'm being honest. And somebody's going to follow us. If the trumpet doesn't sound, if the Lord doesn't call us home, somebody's going to follow us. I know this is an apostolic church today. I know the convictions that are preached from this pulpit today. But there's a concern in my heart that goes beyond today. I'm looking for the Lord to come at any time. But I want to make sure I'm telling you that I am so thankful for the ministers that God has raised up in this church. Praise God. To God be the glory. Aren't you just so appreciative of their knowledge 
of the Word of God. Amen. I'm going to tell you, they're further down the road at the point they are in their ministry than I was at that same point in my ministry. I promise you that. I promise you that. And it should be that way. It should be that way. I'm not jealous about that at all. I'm thankful. Thank God. It ought to be that way. Amen. Every store owner, every store owner shouldn't have to move back into the back of the store and sleep on a cot. There should be some promotion. There should be some advancement. And so I'm thankful for that. But what if God tarries? Is there another generation coming? I want to make sure that I talk about it. When you get up in the morning, talk about it when you lay down at night. Talk about it when you're walking by the way. Write it in your hands. Put it in the frontlets of your eyes. Amen. Let the Spirit of God touch our heart. Because somebody's coming behind us. The question, like Solomon tonight, that's piercing and should pierce our conscience. Is it going to be a wise man or a fool? In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Can we lift our hands across this building? In the name of the Lord. Lord, I love you today. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.